Good morning. February, I was thinking about this. Um, it's just they, they, the world has put everything in February. Like there was Super Bowl weekend, then there was the Oscars uh, last week, which um, I didn't see, but um, I opened up YouTube and like it suggested that I watch Eminem's performance, um, which was cool because YouTube is starting to really get me. And uh, so I probably watched that like 50 times. Um, and then uh, Valentine's Day this week. Guys, did you remember that? Still time. Probably some cheap bears for sale somewhere. Um, okay, are you ready? So today's passage, I mean, we, we, the, the lectionary throws these things at us, and um, this one, today's passage is very, very, well, I'm just going to read it, and you'll see what I'm saying, and then we'll, uh, we'll get into it. How's that? So Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 37, I'm just going to read it in full, and then we'll break it down and see um, what we can do with it. These are the words of Jesus, and he starts by saying, Uh, You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel. And whoever says, you fool, I mean, I'm out at this point, will be liable to hell. Of fire. I forgot that verse. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you were going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you will be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Next section. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right eye causes you to sin, a hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go to hell. Next section. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, Everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Final section. Again, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, uh, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let, let, your, let what you say simply be yes 
or no, anything more than this comes from evil. We should probably pray for me before we get into this. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this space um, that we can come and meet together. And sometimes uh, uh, the words of Jesus are confusing and difficult. And so we pray for clarity today as we move through this. In your name we pray and everyone said, amen. So this is a section of what's called the Sermon on the Mount or the Great Sermon. It's a collection of the teachings of Jesus that Matthew places in uh, Matthew's chapter 5, 6, and 7. And um, it is, in summary, Jesus' way of saying, this is what the life of heaven looks like here on earth. And so throughout the sermon, Jesus holds up this, these pictures of a world that is uh, harmonizing with God. And so Jesus implores people to a certain kind of living, a certain way of being in the world. Um, and when we get to this section, it, it, it starts to intensify. If you've been with us the last few weeks, it started at the very first of Matthew chapter 5, which is this nice picture of people who are blessed, people at the bottom, people who are suffering, people who are struggling, that they're blessed. And then last week, just familiar reminders about being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And then we come to this, and it just begins to intensify. Now today, uh, what this is about is essentially Jesus is saying, these are the ethics of heaven, and these are the virtues of its citizens. So we, we would do well to listen to what Jesus um, is presenting here. Now, warning, you probably picked this up. Um, in these teachings, Jesus is, uh, as we say down here, he's, he's meddling. He's, he's poking. He's stirring our emotions. But we do need to listen and to give ear to what he is saying and proposing. And remember that these are renderings of heaven on earth, and in all of his words today, Jesus deals with a part of life that each of us know very, very well. It's the common theme throughout all of these sections I just read, which is our relationships, the people that we are in relationship with. So what is Jesus doing with these? Well, he talks about... He does this whole, like you've heard it said, but I tell you, he's quoting Old Testament texts that they understand, that they already know these things. I mean, it begins with, you shall not murder, and everybody's like, duh. And, um, but then he intensifies it. He says, yes, but let me introduce a new idea. And he goes beyond the surface of the command, and he's venturing into the interior of the person. And also... It's a, he focuses on, if, it, if you're listening, if I'm listening to it, he focuses on our responsibility in the love of others. And I think the best way to interpret this text is this. Jesus is speaking directly to the people obviously listening, to you and to me, but he's also speaking passively to the victim. There is a victim in each of these sections. It's very key to understanding what Jesus is saying and doing. And so passively, by giving commands directly to people who should obey these, there's a victim involved that's also hearing what Jesus is saying. And it's it's as if Jesus is saying, without saying, I see you. I see the predicament that you're in. And he just runs through some things that we're familiar with. It's not an exhaustive list. I mean, he begins with anger. (laughs) You've heard it said, do not commit murder. 
that commandment is so easy for most people throughout history. It's so easy. You know, it's one of the 10, do not murder. Everybody's like, got it. Even if I wanted to, I won't do it. If you're a parent, you have, you, you have voiced that in your head. It's true. You have said, I, I, I would, but I won't, you know? I could, but I won't. So that is the commandment of restraint. And it's basically, again, for most of human history, it's easy. When we obey it, there's no victim, there's no blood, there's no loss. And so we can feel kind of good. I'll go to to my grave not having uh, made anyone go to their grave at my own hand. And then Jesus intensifies it. And he says, actually, and it's almost like he doesn't go to the next level. He just skips so many levels. And he goes, actually, it's how you feel about a person that truly matters. Or at least that's now brought into the equation. The victim is unaware that he or she is the victim. So this is about hatred. I know that no one in here hates or struggles with that, especially in an election year. But Jesus is meddling in what we all are very familiar with, which is, look, I don't want to kill you, but I hate you. And he says that is a whole new level of obedience, a whole new realm of understanding how the law of God works. The ethic here is to be aware of unchecked anger and jealousy and resentment. Richard Rohr um, says this, nursing anger is the mechanism of bondage. And I think all of us who have either dealt with anger, dealt with frustration long-term, I think that makes sense to us. And the longer we are angry at someone, the longer we harbor ill will towards someone, the more we begin to see that person in that light. It is kind of strange how our words and thoughts create realities. And you see it throughout history. You know, kids are raised in certain societies, and they're raised to hate other societies. They have no idea why. They just do. And there's no reason for it. And yet, they've been told that group of people are less than us. And so you hate them. You call them fool. And you deal with them in that manner. But there really is no reason for that. And so Jesus takes a very wooden command. Don't kill. Everybody's like, got it. He's like, but also, don't even harbor ill will towards someone. Don't even say fool. I'm just sort of upset myself that he gets to fool, but he goes through some other stuff too. Like, don't be angry. Got it. You'll be subject to judgment. Got it. Don't insult. Great. Liable to the council. And just, you fool. I go to hell for saying you fool? Like, that's where he goes with that, you know? Jesus. No, the person, not, not the, okay, all right. But again, the victim here, and we all have this, these victims in our social circles, they're unaware that they're the victim. And that's good for us. 
we can socialize and still harbor intense hate towards someone. And we look good on the outside, but on the inside, it's, and they don't know. They have no idea. And so Jesus is introducing this whole new level of being human. Then he gets into like a really fun subject to talk about, lust. And if we want to reframe it, what Jesus is really teaching about here is uh, predatory love or teaching against that or objectification. I want you to notice in the lust section that the, the commandment is directed at the man, not the woman. In ancient Greek and Roman societies, the man carried with him, by virtue of being a man, absolute sexual freedom, period. Um, Since I know you guys aren't reading these things, if you delve into ancient Near Eastern wedding uh, practices and ethos, it'll disgust you. It it won't make any sense to you. One of the things that I learned in learning the Bible at this academic level back in the day was this is a completely foreign world to what we are used to. Like, we can't even understand this teaching based on our own understanding. We have to go back and see, oh, this is a very interesting society where the men had absolute sexual freedom. That was set in stone. He could sleep with whomever he pleased while maintaining a marriage to a wife who had no rights in this regard or even the status to question her husband's unchecked passions. And Jesus says to the man, not the woman, control yourself, brother. In a decidedly feminist move, Jesus puts the responsibility of unchecked lust on men. Theologian David Garland says, Jesus does not warn his disciples about women but about themselves. You ever thought, well, if they just wouldn't dress like that or look like that or dance like that or do a halftime show like that? (laughs) Jesus' reply to that is, hey, that's your problem. It's a very upstream statement that Jesus is making. It's foreign. It's a foreign sound to the men listening to it. That doesn't make sense to us. But to those in the audience that day, they're like, I don't know what he's talking about. You'll see more of this in the next section. Divorce. Um, There's no law in the Old Testament against or prohibiting divorce. It's not there. However, God is certainly not for the experience of divorce, the pain that incurs when there is divorce. So there's a protocol provided. When you read the laws of Moses, Moses is dealing with this reality, and there's a protocol given. And it's, it seems silly, like give her a divorce certificate. Mmm. For all those years, thank you for my certificate. But really what that was, again, in the ancient world, it was a... It benefited the wife that she could move on, that she could remarry, that she could find security again. In the ancient Near East, 
marriage was male-centric, patriarchal, unbalanced between men and women. Um, Fourth-century Greek orator, Athenian, named Demosthenes. I can't say his name. We'll call him D. We'll call him D. Money. <laughs> but this is a nice little window into the world of marriage and relationships. He says, this is 4th century BC, we have courtesans for the sake of pleasure, we have concubines for the sake of daily cohabitation, we have wives for the purpose of having children legitimately, and of having a faithful guardian for all our household affairs. I'm sensing that you understand it's a very low view of women. It's a very low view of the wife. And a woman divorced by her husband in the days of Jesus would be at great risk for exposure, for isolation, for hunger, even death. It's not our world. It's not even wise to try to read our world into it. It just is what it is. It is what it was. And Jesus introduces, again, strikingly, equity and care into the conversation. It's an elevation of the idea that women are not less than and that they must be looked after in the case of divorce. And the way people thought about divorce from Jesus to the other rabbis to Sadducees and Pharisees, etc., very diverse opinions about divorce. And Jesus introduces this idea of equity and care. Now, in all three of these sayings, Jesus again holds up a picture of a love that is not hostile, it's not predatory, and it's not unjust. So what? What do we do with this? Well, let me try a couple things. Though each of these is very specific and practical, Together, they remind us of a larger, more profound conviction that lived in both Jewish and Christian thinking. And it's this, that we encounter God through our neighbor. That is across the board at the bedrock of relational commandments, both in ancient Judaism and early Christianity, that we encounter God through our neighbor. And so how we live with others matters a great deal. We have to manage our relationships. And the way that we manage our relationships becomes a tracer to our convictions about who God is. And so Jesus is holding up, in his day, a very timely and progressive picture of an alternative world where the foundations of all relationships That foundation is built on truth and trust, congruency, safety, and equity. It's a world where there's no fear of being trapped in a culture of insincerity and selfishness. I was in the car with uh, the pastor I was working for. I was a youth pastor. And uh, we were in the parking lot of the church coming back from a hospital call. And this mom of one of my students was walking across the parking lot and she saw us 
And um, she, she's a little extra, you know what I mean? Uh, but that, that's it. I mean, I just thought, she's a, she's a weird bird, you know? And um, she came over to the car and passed her roll down the window. And, you know, we did that thing where she said some things. And we're like, is that right? You know, like we just talk, you know, how we do. Chit-chat, chit-chat, chit-chat. Window rolls up. She walks away. And I say, she's such a sweet lady. And the pastor says, yeah. And then he says, as a lie, I can't stand her. You know? And I had a good laugh because I was like, wow, he just said that. <laughs> he goes, I know that's wrong, but I just, I hadn't gotten there yet. You know? So I think the way into these teachings is it begins with honesty like that, you know? It begins with me not reading these and thinking, who needs to hear this? But like the honesty it takes to get in there and go, man, that's, yeah. So maybe your homework is very simple of just, okay, let's start with the anger. Get out a piece of paper and write these names down. That when you see these people, something happens inside of you and it, it doesn't feel good. And to make matters worse, you're nice to these people in person, but deep inside, you hate them. And Jesus isn't talking about, you gotta go be buddies with people. He's not, it's this like weird release of like, you know that you can interact with people that you don't like and not worry about it. You can like, they can say things and it doesn't have to impact you. They can do things and it doesn't have to derail your day. It just You can just, you know, in your mind, you can just let it go. So he's introducing this whole new way of being human. But it begins with honesty. And so maybe the way that you pray this week is filled with that honesty. Lord, show me the ways that I can live a more congruent life between my faith and the relationships that I have. I want to close with prayer. Um, you know, they, the Book of Common Prayer gives you prayers for each Sunday. We don't always pray them, but this one is so good, so powerful. So I want to pray this over us today, and then uh, we'll sit quietly for a few moments. The prayer goes like this. O oh God, the strength of all who put their trust in you, mercifully accept our prayers. And because in our weakness we can do nothing good without you, give us the help of your grace, that in keeping your commandments we may please you both in will and in deed. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen.